After multiple pandemic delays, on October 8th, the newest James Bond film hits the theaters. <laughs> Are you a fan? I've seen a few. How would you describe the character of Bond? What are his essential traits? Here's a list of a few that came to my mind. Gritty, tenacious, ruthless, immoral in many ways, handsome, lethal. This will be the last James Bond movie for Daniel Craig. Now there's already speculation about who the next James Bond will be, but I've seen no speculation whatsoever about a change of character traits. No one's wondering if the next James Bond should be weak, cowardly, unattractive, and anti-gun. That's a category of James Bond that simply does not exist. It's like a Marvel superhero who had no special powers and just sat at home eating potato chips. That's not a category of a Marvel superhero. It simply doesn't exist. A 007 who can't shoot or save the day is a failed 007. Not in our worldview. He's not the real thing. He's not a Bond at all. A Messiah? A savior of the Jews who dies was not a category of Messiah. Dying, in fact, was evidence that he wasn't the real thing. Thus, Peter's rebuke last week when Jesus said, I will die, I will suffer and die, and Peter said, God forbid, Lord, it shall not be so. Thus, in today's gospel, what appears to be the apostles debating a succession plan. When this guy does whatever he says he's going to do, who's the greatest? Who's next in line? And clearly the possibility of resurrection as Jesus described it had never been conceived. The Son of Man, the representative of what a human should be, will be killed and will rise. And then what was said? But they did not understand and they were afraid to ask the question. All of this is deeply convincing evidence of the Christian claim that the Messiah actually did die and rise from the dead. No one would have left everything or laid down his or her life for a man who fit the category of a failed Messiah. No more than we'd flock to the theater to see a puny 007 get beat up and do nothing spectacular. You simply wouldn't do it that Christians did is the most convincing evidence of Christ's resurrection. Clearly, though, they would have been confronted with how they had conceived things. What Jesus said was deeply jolting, as the gospel makes clear. And it was only after the event of the resurrection, only after evidence was presented challenging their worldview, that Christ followers understood and saw what was absolutely new and their mission and their way forwards. Throughout our brief history at JP2, we have been confronted with events 
challenging our conceptions, plans, ideas, and raising questions. Building a new parish. For some, that was exciting from the beginning. For others, they were with St. Peter. God forbid, Lord, it shall not be so. <laughs> There's initial momentum which gave ways to obstacles and disappointment. For many, it was not how they had imagined things. We're still in a gym. And there was great uncertainty. I learned this when I announced that I was coming here. That weekend, in the vestibule, prisoner said, Father, our son and his family are in your new parish. Only they thought that the archdiocese called it off. There's uncertainty. In our campaign, there was extraordinary initial success. 200 or so households approached, 6 million pledged. And then the second wave, which began shortly before I got here, well, you've seen the thermometer in the bulletin, haven't you? Out of about 550 households approached, about 30 have responded. Now, I see in that extraordinary opportunity. For there are 520 good families in our parish that have not bought into this for one reason or another. Not five, but over 500. I mean, it suggests we've got to ask some questions, doesn't it? What was put forward in the gospel is not put forward for us to imitate. They were afraid, so they didn't ask questions. We simply can't move forward practically with a building without the buy-in of the larger community. And don't be afraid to ask the questions. I mean, one of the questions I had from afar was, that's tough timing to do a second phase of your campaign. COVID, pastor stepped away, decided not to return, and you had no idea what sort of goofball you were gonna get. <laughs> and you were asked to donate substantially? That's pretty tough. Was it a question about communication? What about a sense of belonging? Feeling a part of community? It's hard to feel a we when there's no place to be a we. Did we lose some interest in the transition from the school to the parish hall? Not unlike some have said that we might have lost interest when the music transitioned. It seems to me that we have to understand those whose help we need to move ahead. And this will do as we settle into JB2 Southside, which is a new variable in the equation. No one even conceived of that three months ago. Does it raise questions? Well, the church area over there at Southside, I am told, will seat about 50 fewer people than what the proposed parish hall will seat. And it has offices, classrooms, gathering areas, and a kitchen too. If we end up liking it, we can buy it for $900,000. The parish hall is 12 million. Does this change things? I really don't know, but it seems like a duty to ask a question. 
it seems responsible to ask questions as we regroup, re-energize, and move forward. And if you've been involved at all over in Southside, you can feel the energy, even if you've watched those crazy videos that I put together, you feel there's enthusiasm. I mean, a question I had from afar when I learned of this place, that I would likely go to this place, as I looked at your website, sifted through your programs, looked at your master plan, the question was to me, what's the unifying theme at this parish? You know, when I do a project, be it landscaping, be it renovation, there's a, a theme that runs through it, a color palette, a type of wood, a style. And I wondered, what's the unifying theme here? Where's the spirit of John Paul II reflected in the programs? How is it embodied in the buildings? It's a question that maybe you can answer, but I thought then, and I still think now, would it do us good to make a pilgrimage to his homeland, to see what he saw, to pray where he prayed, to end up in Rome at his grave? We mustn't be afraid to ask questions. I say this as much to me as to you. When I was assigned to Emporia, they were in the midst of a multi-million dollar campaign. They had raised all the funds. And the bishop said, I want you to go there and put a pause on things and rethink things a little bit. They had planned to do work on stained glass windows, HVAC for the, for the church, to do some modest improvements to the office, church office that was a Franciscan friary, but more substantially to build an adoration chapel and have it connected with the church and then build a rectory. Now, I have to, in their defense, say that there had already been some frustrations there. They had an architect who specialized in chapels and tying it into the church, and they used him for the rectory. And they got back the results the first time, and they said, this looks like a dentist office. And so they sent it back, and they got it back, and they said, this looks like a dentist office. So they had home builders on the building committee and they said, we can draw this up and we can make it work for two priests. And then for me to come in and see the archbishop would like you to consider building a rectory for three. There was not enough land to go farther out. They had to go up there already at half a million dollars. And they said, in effect, Father, we understand you're the messenger, but we are going to shoot you. Now, what it did is it allowed us in painful ways to ask a question. The Franciscan Friary that was the offices could never have been handicap accessible. You had to go up a flight of stairs to get in the building and most of the offices were up another flight of stairs. And we began to say, what if instead of the rectory, we built an office, designed it as an office that's handicap accessible and renovate this whole beautiful building back to a residence for a priest? never would have happened without simply asking the question that was imposed upon us by the bishop. We have so many reasons, so much evidence saying, don't be afraid. God is leading the way here. The enthusiasm, the excitement that is tangible, South Side, which is a game changer. I'm told that the last weekend at Gardner, 
we had about 190 people in attendance and less than 10 people streamed mass. We have nearly 300 people here at 10 o'clock alone and four to 500 people watched my goofy videos when they're sent out. Moving back to Madison Place has been a huge help. So will a place that actually feels like a church. If you made a pledge, keep paying on it. We will build. And here's one more bit of evidence, data to reassure you. It's hard to believe it was just a week ago. I was driving over to the south side. I saw a real estate sign in the yard of a house across the street from south side. And I thought, that's got to be worth substantially less than the house that I live in. So I called the number on the sign, and it was the day it was being listed. Set up a time to go view it. I stopped by Southside to visit with Dan Biller, who was overseeing thing there about other stuff. And I said, is this crazy? And he said, I kind of thought about the same thing when I saw it. So we walked through, the cellar was there. It's in great shape. I said, I got to run that by the Finance Council, by the Archdiocese enlisted the help of a realtor here in our parish who investigated what we would anticipate to get from the house that I currently live in. We offered 25,000 less than listing price. Dan said there's a 5% chance in this market that it'll happen. The seller said, I like the idea of selling it to the church and she agreed. The realtor said, that's divine intervention and I'm gonna give my commission to the campaign. We, we should turn a profit of between 75 and $100,000 just by doing this. When God does something new, don't be afraid. We mustn't be afraid to ask questions because it opens the door. He does not challenge our worldview, our conceptions, our plans to diminish our life, but only to expand it.